Welcome to our event. Um, it's formally titled Race in View of the Cross, but to make it make more sense, we are talking about Easter and racial reconciliation. We are the leaders of Brew, and before we get into that formally, Bryn is going to pray for us. All right, if you guys please bow your heads. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this evening and just for um, gathering a group of people together just to learn about you and your heart for justice. Um, I just pray that you speak through us as the speakers and um, that we can just convey a message of hope and reconciliation um, tonight and just that everyone would walk away uh, feeling full of hope and excitement for the justice work that you're doing. Uh, thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, cool. So let's hop right into our PowerPoint. So tonight is going to have two parts. So we are going to do a short presentation for you all just to set the groundwork. And then we have some lovely panel, panel members in the audience. They're going to come up and we're going to answer some questions. Then if you guys have questions, write them down because you guys get to ask questions as well. Sound good? All right, cool. So I am Malaysia Barr. I am a first-year um, graduate student. I graduated from here last May, got my BA in Comm. Now I'm back for my master's degree in communication. Love it. And um, I am the public relations chair. Hi, I'm Brent Sumner. I am a senior, but I'm going to graduate next December. Um, I'm a biology major, and then I plan on sticking around for grad school, so I'm excited to keep working with this club um, as I continue my education. I'm from Woodstock, Georgia, and oh, I'm the director of outreach. We can never really decide what um, Brent's yeah. title is, but um, <laughs> I am Will Kendrick. Um, that's me with my parents right there. Um, <laughs> I am a senior finance and econ major. Is this on? Okay, just make sure. Um, I'm from Spartanburg, South Carolina, and I am the president of Brew. I started it in the spring of 2021. I think I'm going to go to the next one. Um, Malaysia. Um, so just a little bit about Brew. I'm, uh, Bryn and Malaysia are going to tell you more in a second. But um, I, again, I started in spring of 2021. Um, it's been just kind of slow growth since then, um, but I'm really grateful for Malaysia and Bryn. They came on in leadership um, in the fall of last year, and they've just been a huge help in kind of solidifying the organization, um, and they're actually going to continue leading after I graduate in May. Um, so um, God willing, this is going to continue after I'm gone, but um, I'm going to let them tell you a little bit more about the group and what we're about. So we first want to tell you guys about our mission. Um, so our mission, as you can read, is the mission of principal leaders for racial unity is to spark conversations and relationships among Christians of different races. So when explaining this, it's easy to say, oh, we just want to sit and talk about how many days did Noah stand the ark. That's good and fine, but we really want to talk about Okay, how can we love one another and edify one another? That is our ultimate mission because, you know, if you read the New Testament, Jesus, he was with all types of people, and people looked at him like, what is he doing? That's what we want to do, too, and really just want to know each other. Now, keeping our mission in mind, that also ties into our vision. Our vision as Clemson Believers for Racial Unity is a cohesive, racially diverse group of believers growing in their relationship with one another and with God. These two, the mission and vision, complement one, one another very well. Um, and this is a long-term goal. It'll probably be our goal for as long as we operate, which I pray is forever. Because 
you know, this work is hard, but we really want to get to know one another. As I said, we don't just want to play patty cake. We really want to talk about the hard, deep stuff and have hard conversations. Now that I've set you guys up with the mission and vision, I'm going to let Brand talk to you about how do we do this. So, our, yeah, our why. Um, so, with the ongoing racial tension coupled with the unmet need in the church, um, we just feel that it was important to kind of set up a space for people to come together and to have honest and hard conversations. Um, MLK once described Sunday at 11 a.m. as one of the most segregated hours in America. And when he said this um, long ago, it's still true today. And so uh, we just believe that hearing from different perspectives um, is important to move towards a more unified church. Um, and I want to emphasize our unity, unity and diversity. We don't want to become a monotonous group of people in a box. We want to celebrate everyone's differences and welcome different cultures and customs. Um, so now I'll talk about our how. Um, so our main method is through books and Bible studies. This is really where we have these conversations with one another and discuss um, scripture and some books. Uh, we've, I can't remember what we read. It was The Beautiful, Beautiful Community, um, which was just a really great uh, book to read together uh, just to learn about the unity and our diversity. Um, we have the commitment to learn um, from one another despite the tension that our differences might arise. Um, and then we also do social events. So we just did mini golf uh, as a group, which was super fun. We also have an annual, or two times a year, once a semester. We go to spill the beans and just hang out, have a good time. And stay tuned, we're planning a beach day at Y Beach TBD. <laughs> um, and then finally, service opportunities. We've partnered with Call Me Mister um, at Helping Hands, and we just believe in the importance of community and so we like to act on that through community service. And now Will is going to kick off our presentation on justice and view of the cross. Yeah, so thanks, Brynn. That's um, a little bit about Brew and um, what we do. And I'm going to transition now to um, our topic for tonight, which is this question you see up here. Um, what does Jesus' death and resurrection mean for racial issues? Um, so we believe that the events of Easter week have implications for everything in our lives, um, and that's no less true for racial issues. So really, what this is going to be about is what are those implications? Um, how can we apply what happened um, to the racial division and tension that exists um, in our lives? So this is kind of a roadmap of where we're going. Um, we're going to talk about um, the motivation, why this is important, why you should care about it. Um, we're going to go way back to creation, um, how everything started. We're going to talk about the fall and sin entering the world and what happened. Um, we're going to talk about restoration um, and, and the hope that we have for this to be fixed. We're going to talk about the end of the story and unity and where we're going. And then we're going to do some, some application steps and how we can uh, practically live this out in our lives. So the first thing I want to talk about, I want to kind of motivate this a little bit. Um, you, may, you may be saying, like, this doesn't, like, this section is unnecessary, like, obviously we should care about um, racial tension, or you may be, um, you know, intrigued to see what I'm about to say. Um, but I think it's easy for us to get caught up in our day-to-day -day lives and kind of lose sight of some of the bigger issues that are in our um, society, in our world, and within the church specifically. Um, and I think there are some uh, really big reasons why we do need to um, care about these things. So. I've got some numbers here. Um, 
This one is from the Public Religion Research Institute in 2022. 67% um, of white Americans' social networks are entirely white. Um, so they define social networks as like close friends, so people that you would have like a serious conversation with. Um, so for two-thirds of white Americans, every close friend that they have is also white. Um, so that's just kind of highlighting the division that exists in our society as a whole. Um, can I go to the next one? And then that extends to within the church also. So 80% of American churchgoers attend services where a single ethnic group makes up at least 80% of the congregation. Um, so you can kind of see, like Malaysia, I mean, Brun was talking about, um, you know, Sunday morning being the, mo being the most segregated hour. Um, just kind of a number to back it up. Um, a lot of us go to church, not all of us, but a lot of us go to church with almost exclusively people that look like us. Um, and, um, you know, that, like I was saying, is that division um, and separation that we see in all of society is um, present and maybe even like magnified in the church because of our racial history. Um, so you may see that and you may say, um, that's not really that big of a deal. Like um, people of diff different races have really different cultures and styles of worship. Um, and you know, it's okay for us to worship separately and there's some some truth to that but i do believe that when we're not interacting at all that there's some some serious problems with that um so i've got some some more numbers up here and um some of these things are kind of controversial things but just hang with me and i'm gonna i do have a point that i'm making here um so 71 percent of white evangelical protestants view police killings of african-american men as isolated incidents compared to 15 percent of black protestants um, so that's a 56 percentage point gap. Um, and all these numbers are from that same source, the Public Religion Research Institute 2018. 86% um, of white evangelical Protestants view the Confederate flag more as a symbol of Southern pride than racism compared to 16% of black Protestants. So that's a 70 percentage point gap. 53% of white evangelical Protestants agree with the idea that socioeconomic disparities across races are due to a lack of effort among black Americans compared to 28% of non-white Christians. So that's a 25 percentage point gap. Um, so my point with this is not to get into these issues themselves, but just to say like there is like a massive divide in how Christians of different races are seeing some of these issues, um, especially racial issues um, and when you put, to me, when you put these numbers together with the ones that we just showed, um, what that's saying is like, we're not, we're not talking to each other. Uh, we're not interacting with one another. We're not getting um, each other's perspectives and views. Um, and what that does is it makes it really hard to um, understand why people think differently. Um, it can lead us to lack compassion for people who are different than us. Um, and I just, I just think it's a really harmful thing. Um, and I also would say, this last, last thing here, um, just anecdotally in my experience, like racism is real in the church. Um, like there are Christians in my experience I've been around who say racist things or make racist jokes or um, laugh at racist jokes. And, um, you know, that may not be your experience, but to me, like, you know, it's a real thing and it's something we really need to talk about. So it's a little, little heavy to start, um, but, um, just wanted to, to give some motivation as to why this is important. All right, now I'm going to talk a little bit about the beginning of creation and how did it start and what is God's intention for creation. Um, so first I'm going to read Genesis 1, 26 to 27. 
Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all of the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. And this verse clearly gives humanity a special role in creation. Um, and this isn't a role that we need to take lightly. It gives us the responsibility um, to care for others uh, as God cares for us. Um, I will read these next two verses. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Genesis 9, 6. And then with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. And so these just verses point to the importance of treating others with respect and dignity um, that God assigns us as part of creation. Um, God doesn't require creation to earn their worth or their value, and so neither should we require other humans to earn their value. Um, we just need to be treating one another with respect. Um, and so now we'll watch a little video from Katie's podcast, Southside Rabbi, if you've heard of it. Um, yeah, go ahead. Hey, that is a man created in the image of God, and for that sake, for that reason, the image of God projects a value on him that must be protected by all of us. That the image of God on that face, that black face, demands everyone around to protect, to serve, to encourage, to bear with, to pour out patience, to empower. That image shouldn't go hungry. That image shouldn't be enslaved. That image shouldn't be disenfranchised. That image should not be undervalued. Why? Because when you do that to George Floyd, you're doing it to God. Hey, that is a man created in the image of God. Okay, now Malaysia's going to talk about how humanity has strayed so far from the creation that God intended. Thanks, Brian. So as you guys saw that clip, um, we are supposed to care for humanity. We're supposed to care for each other. Um, as we are humans, we have, a, as Brian said, a very special role to God. But we got to start somewhere. And Genesis 3 marks the beginning of the end, the fall. So let's get into it. So as I just mentioned, Genesis 3, um, if you know the story, I'm pretty sure we all do, sin into the world, Adam and Eve was tempted by the serpent, and she passed the fruit that she ate to Adam, and they were, their eyes were open and all that good stuff, but we were cursed because of that. And if you are a Bible believer, you know, we believe that we are descendants of Adam. Saved through grace, but descendants of Adam. And so, because of that, we're not perfect. And so, we can see this throughout Scripture. When they did that, it just cursed everything afterward. Um, a great example is um, Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's sons, Cain kills Abel. That's interpersonal conflict. So when the fall happened, that's when we started warring with one another and tearing at one another. Um, scripture, as I just said, is all a whole bunch of different examples. I'll just give you a few. David, a Jew, fights Goliath, a Philistine, over land, I believe. Then you go to the book of Esther. Esther is a Jew, but she has to hide her ethnicity because they are in exile. The Jews are in exile. 
And then one of my favorite scriptures, John 4, Jesus talks to the Samaritan woman. She was like, what? Why are you talking to me? But he showed her love and compassion. And so we're highlighting these. This is just a few examples of the many examples throughout scripture. But we're highlighting these tonight because the fall happened and things got pretty screwed up. And we may also feel that, oh, the events of the Bible are just the events of the Bible. Well, as I said, we're children of Adam. So there's a connotation to everything. And all of this still happens today. So let's dig into that. With America's racial history, um, there are three points that I want to touch on. It's a lot we could say, but we decided to touch on three points. Um, the first point being that the Bible, what we as Christians in this room believe is the word of God, was manipulated and perverted by a lot of white settlers to justify the enslavement of, Ameri of Native Americans and the enslavement of Africans. Um, then you go to the time past and you have the idolization of white purity which fueled Jim Crow laws and segregation, which is why you see the whites only in the color water fountain. And another fact I want to point out is that the KKK, we know as a terror group, they burn a cross that was used to harm and intimidate racial minorities, including Jews, including Catholics, including African-Americans at the time. And while these are just a few incidents, these, those, those incidents last today with the, um, residential segregation, redlining of African-American and other minority community, communities, the prison industrial complex, um, the wealth gap, and the maternal crisis. So when the fall happened, it resulted in a whole bunch of things going wrong, and these are just a few examples. Now, we do have some charts to show you guys, and I do want to emphasize that while we may be speaking in black versus white tones, there's a reason for that. It's not to say that that's what we focus on. We focus on black versus white. Black versus Hispanic, Hispanic versus white, all the things, because we know that every single race is made the image of God, but black versus white, um, research-wise, has been studied the most, and it's a huge gap in that, but we don't have time. So let's get into these graphs. So as you can see, the imprisonment rates, the black imprisonment rate is, from time, is so much more higher, from 2010 to 2018, than the Hispanic race and the white race. That is a problem. Also, you see that the median family net worth, um, white Americans rate, make a lot more money than black and Hispanic Americans. That too is a problem. And then you have pregnancy-related deaths. As you can see, the black mortality morbidity rate is through the roof. Um, superstars like Beyonce and Serena Williams had to advocate for their own health in the hospital because the doctors just did not believe them. This is a problem. So um, we're highlighting this section to show you that the events of the Bible are not isolated. They matter to today too, and these are just a few examples. So now that we went through that, Will is going to touch on, well, how do we fix it? Yeah, so um, this is where we kind of want to bring it back to what this week is about um, and what this event is really, really about. Um, the events of, of Easter week and Jesus dying and being raised again, um, and that's that's where restoration starts um, and, and how this begins to be fixed. Um, so let me let me read this scripture for us. Um, this is from Ephesians chapter two. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Uh, and then I have one more. This is from that same chapter. 
For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Um, so these, those, those scriptures to me are really, really powerful. Um, but, but basically what we believe as Christians is that um, at the cross, so God is righteous and holy, and we as human beings are not. Uh, we don't live up to God's standard. Um, and so God had to do something about that, like being righteous and holy. He can't, allow, he can't just let that go. Um, so he has this wrath against sin, and at the cross what we believe happened is that Jesus stepped in, and he took on that wrath on our behalf so that we could be forgiven. Um, we can experience reconciliation and new relationship um, with God. Um, and so what that means and, and what these, the scriptures are kind of speaking to um, is that we have this new fundamental identity uh, not to the exclusion of our other identities, we're still um, black or white or male or female or whatever the case may be, um, but our deepest identity is as children of God. Um, like That's who we are more than anything else. Um, we're loved and rescued uh, by Jesus' death and resurrection. Um, so that enables us um, to see one another differently. Um, we're now all members of the same family. Um, we have a common purpose to glorify God um, and to make him known. Um, and another, another element of this is that this reconciliation with God enables reconciliation with others um, so that when we see um, how we've been forgiven um, and, and the debt that um, God has, has forgiven us, it enables us, uh, we're, we're, our identity is no longer in our righteousness um, or our ability to do good so that when people come to us and say, um, like, to bring it into this context, if somebody comes to me and says, you are participating in or you're complicit with racism, um, instead of being defensive because you just challenged my whole worth, um, I can say, maybe I am. Like, I can be humble in how I receive that and say, um, you know, my worth is in Jesus. Like, my righteousness is in Jesus so that um, when I'm confronted with my faults, I can acknowledge that and say, how do we move forward and do better? Um, and I wanted to read this, this scripture also from Colossians chapter 3. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Um, if you want to go to the next one, um, so earlier we talked about God's image and how um, that carries with it a responsibility for us to treat people in a certain way, but there's also an element where God's image means that um, we are God's representatives in the world and are made to um, show them to the people around us, and we do that imperfectly because we're sinful and we're broken. Uh, but scripture tells us that Jesus did that perfectly, um, that he is the image of the invisible God. Um, and one of the, one of the um, things that happens in salvation um, is that we receive the Holy Spirit, and he now lives inside us, and he's at work um, to cause us to bear that image that we do imperfectly now, um, to cause us to look more and more like Jesus, who bears God's image perfectly. Um, and I just want to emphasize, like, that's the only way, ultimately, that this changes, um, is by the work of the Holy Spirit in us, um, to love the people around us across racial lines. Um, 
So now I think Malaysia is going in. Yeah. yeah, so thanks, Will, for talking to us about restoration, which is super important. But another key component of this is unity. So we ourselves have been restored, and um, we, we are born again. We go through a sanctification process. It won't be complete until the, we get to heaven. However, unity is important. So you get saved, and, you know, the Bible lets us know, don't forsake the assembly, assembly of the saints. Meaning you got to find a believing body somewhere. And so... We are supposed to be unified as well. For the purpose of purposes of tonight, we're supposed to be unified racially. And so one thing that's important to highlight is that Jesus himself, um, before he was in the garden, before he was taken up on Golgotha's hill, he prayed for his disciples. And in praying for his disciples, he prayed for us. And I want to read this verse from John 17. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and loved me, love them even as you have loved me. This scripture and the whole John 17 is so powerful and so important. But this scripture is super important because here Jesus is interceding for his followers, his 12 at the time. And what's interesting is we know that the Trinity exists, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God, Jesus is exemplifying that. He's saying, okay, we are, the Trinity is perfect in unity, so my followers need to be perfect in unity as well. And that is so key and so important for our walk as believers. Now, another verse we want to highlight is Revelation. Now, Revelation was written by um, John the Apostle, and who also wrote John. Interesting. <laughs> and it looks to the future. And so I'm going to read this verse for you guys, Revelation 7-9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. That is powerful in itself. And I want to emphasize, you know, we just celebrated Palm Sunday, um, and they have palm branches, but who are they? It's us. It's the believers from every nation, every tongue, and every tribe. And this scripture hasn't happened yet. John was writing about things that, you know, I pray don't come anytime soon. But they will come one day. And, you know, we want to get to this point. And so Brian is going to tell us a little bit about how we can get to that point. Thank you, Malaysia. Um, so now, finally, in conclusion, I'll just um, give us a few application points of how we can look this out. Um, we want to be active doers of justice, not just passive. Um, and so my first encouragement to you is to commit to learning to other perspectives and engaging in conversations with believers of different races and backgrounds. And not only just listen, listening to them, but try to understand and interact with these different cultures. Um, because the, uh, learning from the beautiful diver diversity of different traditions, customs, um, and of uh, across various nationalities, ethnicities, and races is just a wonderful way that we can become a more unified church. And next, I encourage you to pray for justice. Um, it's a great opportunity to lament the injustices that we are seeing um, in this world and just talk to God because He wants to listen. Um, and then third, I encourage you to read scripture through the lens of justice. The Bible is brimming with God's heart for justice. And so I just encourage you to um, ask God as you're reading scripture what he's putting on your heart and how you can um, act 
act injustice in your day-to-day -day life. Thank you. So that was our presentation. Hope you guys enjoyed it. So now we're going to transition to the more informal part where we have a panel. So will our panelists please come up, take your seat, and we will get started. Traditionally, um, African American church. Um, if you don't know much about the AME denomination, AME Zion denomination, it's uh, basically um, a lot of the history they were talking about. You know, at a time to where America was so racially segregated, still is racially segregated, but definitely back then um, you worshiped in different areas, different spots. So a lot of these denominations still carry on today. So that's a traditionally um, African American church. Um, the worship looks a little different than maybe you may see at like a new spring or something like that, but definitely um, still Christ-centered. And then now we uh, go to a place called Fort Mill Church of God, which is a traditionally um, white church. And the worship there is definitely more um, mixed. Uh, you have a mixed group in the church. It's pretty diverse, which we really like. And it's um, definitely, definitely an awesome, awesome space. And then how does it make you feel? So having those two experiences really show you the um, breadth of experience that people have. You know, we talk a lot of time to call me Mr., which is a uh, live learn community on Clemson's campus about how your experience is not the experience. So seeing other people's experiences and how other people interact with God and Jesus and a lot of theological things that we talk about is very important. So growing up, I didn't really attend church until high school. Um, that's kind of when I got saved. Um, and I attended a white, more of a white evangelical space um, just with like my high school friends. And originally, I didn't really think much of it. Um, it wasn't a very diverse church. Um, but as I got to college and I started learning more about history and um, just kind of my upbringing as a mixed person, it kind of struck a chord in me where I was like, I just didn't really feel like I fit in, um, and so now it kind of makes me feel a little, I guess, I don't want to say confused, but I just feel a little bit of apprehension going back to that church just because I'm the only person that looks like me, um, and so I'm still kind of working through those tensions right now. Um, as we know, Clemson is a predominantly white university, and so um, I'm just 
grateful for this group for giving me kind of a space where I can explore my identity as a black Christian. Are we talking about the church we go to now? You can talk about whatever church, the way you grew up in, the way you go to now, whatever you want to say. Okay. Uh, my name is Zion Harris. I'm currently a senior here at Clemson University, and I'm a grad communications major. So the church I go to now is Oconee Presbyterian. Uh, it's in Central South Carolina, and it's a it's a predominantly you know white church. You know, I'm one of three African Americans that attend every Sunday. And at first, when I went there, you know, I was kind of I was kind of like shocked of like kind of like the diversity within like the the church unity. And you know, somebody came up and asked me. They were like, you know, are you are you like kind of phased by this? And I was like, no. Like, if anything, I look at it as an opportunity because I believe that I believe that more churches need to be diverse. I, and I, I'm hoping that you know down the line that'll happen. But I mean, I'm not I'm not too phased by it. Like, I I'm not the type of person to you know you know try to fit in like I'm my own person. So I just go there and worship Jesus. I don't I don't think about race to be honest. Uh, thank you guys so much for those beautiful answers. Now we're going to move on to the second question. So keep in about the church upbringing and where you attend now. The second question asks, does your church ever discuss race? If yes, how? If no, why do you think they don't? So uh, my name is DeAndre. I graduated uh, from Clemson in 2019, and I work with Chi Alpha Campus Ooh. Ministry now. Um, <laughs> but my home church definitely discusses race a lot. The pastor I used to work with NAACP and now works with like an offshoot called the National Action Network. Um, and I'm from Charleston, so I think it was like my senior year in high school when the uh, Emmanuel Nine happened. So he was like on TV a bunch, and I was at I was at my own Bible study and then getting home and hearing all the news. Um, and he adamantly talks about race like everything from trump's election any shooting like race is coming up almost every message in some way or another um and to a, a point it was like kind of refreshing and then you would hear these more controversial views where uh he kind of it was tougher to hear but he was saying how he doesn't he didn't believe that god would elect trump or allow him to be in office and then i'd come back up here and here other pastors that are like, Trump is our one. And I remember talking to somebody and I was like, what does this mean? How do I, how do I like reconcile these two opposing viewpoints from people that I value in my life? Um, and then Trump was elected and I was like, what does this mean for that guy? But um, <laughs> he, to this day, he still is very adamant because I mean, that's his job and that's his life. Um, but my church up here, it's a little bit more of a mix. Um, it's still predominantly white, but there's like, it's a smaller body, but we have at least like seven or eight people that are black. We have a few Hispanic and uh, an Asian person there. Um, and the, the pastor will, comment, will often comment on the fact that we might not think about it, but our body is diverse in the aspect that you have different races, you have different political viewpoints, and almost what a miracle that is in our country today that to have this kind of unification or this commonality that we don't really see our differences as something that divides us, but that we see Christ as a unifier and our differences are just aspects of who we are, kind of many facets to who we are. Um, so yeah, I feel like both churches kind of discuss race, one a little bit more adamantly and one-sided, 
but the other kind of is more reconciled in our minds. I'm gonna step in too. So um, I grew up in a predominantly black church. I grew up in church, I'm a whole church girl, all the things. Um, I grew up on the church choir, and so every fourth Sunday in February, Black History Month, we would have Old Fashioned Sunday. We would come in our African attire, and people dress in overalls, it's a whole thing. We had programs, I wrote a couple of plays, when I was in high school, it was fun. And so race back home was more of a celebration. They really, really, we didn't really bring, I would say, politics into the pulpit. We just kind of kept it separate, my pastor did. Um, but going up, when I came to Clemson, I attended House of Juvenile Seneca, shout out to them. Um, and we actually have deep conversations. We do this thing called conversations, where you wear your converses, or your favorite pair of sneakers. And the last couple of ones, we talked about race. We watched a documentary called Unspoken, where it talks about the unspoken history of um, African Americans or people from African descent from the time of um, Jesus to current day. And it was so powerful. And we sit and we have those tough conversations. So my churches have and do talk about race, and I'm very grateful for it. Um, I would say, for me, if my church talked about race or had racial diversity, like none of us would be here right now. Um, like <laughs> that's kind of how this whole thing started. Um, but like I grew up um, in the PCA, my dad is a, a PCA pastor, it's a Presbyterian church in America, um, and there's like very little racial diversity in, um, not in the entire um, denomination, but in the congregations that I've been a part of. I'm a, I go to Clemson Prez here um, when I'm in school, um, and it's the same thing, not a ton of racial diversity, and by not a ton, I mean like almost none. Um, and like race, like with this question, like race isn't really talked about um, in in sermons or um, I don't know, if it is, it's very rarely. I think um, like because the congregation is so monocultural, like there can be like a lack of awareness that that's even a need um, because there's not people there that are expressing that like this needs to be talked about. Um, so that's that's kind of my experience on that. Oh, I was gonna say, um, my home church back at home, I would say it's more, it, they talk about justice more as a reaction to maybe something that has happened rather than something that's proactive. Um, and so I just think, yeah, they're, they're not really intentional about um, maybe being, yeah, being proactive about the needs of the congregation. They are just kind of saying, oh, well, like, this happened in the news, so maybe we should talk about it. So that's kind of yeah, for me, it's been um, some similar experiences that's been talked about on the panel, uh, especially with um, growing up predominantly African American church. You know, there are certain things that um, our pastor felt like you know he kind of just had to talk about, like when we're talking about Charleston nine, um, you know, nine African Americans shot and killed while in Bible study, and you know that's one of those things that uh, it hits home when you go to one of those African American churches, especially in South Carolina where that happened in Charleston. So those are the kinds of things that, you know, race comes to the forefront and you have to talk about, you know, church security and, you know, all those things about um, conversations that when we end up going to uh, Fort Mill Church of God, it was, uh, and other things happened, I wasn't there for Charleston 9, but you know, other things happened, 
uh, summer 2020, things like that, to where it boils up to the forefront, to where you know, on social media you're seeing it, on the news you're seeing it, you know, it, the past almost can't avoid it, but it became more of a uh, general conversation about love. And you know, I'm all for love and all that, but I think um, that shows you the two different silos and spheres to where um, in the African-American church that I attended, it was called out by name, it was called out by guys who need, we're gonna talk about Charleston and I, we're gonna talk about how you're feeling and stuff like that, compared to just general conversations about you know love and caring and understanding your neighbor which is good, but from my experience, especially talking to um, other people, you know, calling things out specifically and letting people know that they're heard and that you see them and that, um, you know, but especially the initial feelings when things happen, um, they can be all over the place, but if we're all Christians, like we say, no matter our race, our culture, background, you know, we agree on Christianity, we agree on love, so especially when those, you know, divisive uh, political issues come up, you know, I really don't see them as kind of divisive as a lot of people do, um, I think if we agree on love, we agree on Jesus, whatever the scenario is, whatever's in the news, whoever's the president, we can try to focus on Jesus, focus on love, because that maintains all the way through. That's good. Thank you guys so much. So we're going to step out of the church world and go into your day-to-day -day world. The next question asks, in your day-to-day -day life, do you have social interactions with believers of other races? Uh, yes, my uh, <laughs> I live in our ministry house, and I have two white. We're all believers. I have two white roommates, a mixed Pacific Islander roommate. Uh, my girlfriend is white, so it's it's super easy to have those conversations. Um, and I think uniquely as a minority on a predominantly white campus, when you're in like the mix of ministry groups it's a lot easier to have those conversations because you're probably going to see a white believer somewhere. Um, so it's not as much of like a stepping out thing. You're just like, I want to connect. I'm going to see somebody that doesn't look like me but believes similarly. Uh, so it's a little bit easier. Uh, yeah, definitely for me. Uh, yeah, most definitely for me. I know, I know, I, I, have, I have conversations with uh, Will all the time about, you know, just kind of personal stuff like on the like anything that's like on my mind or like you know if I see something you know uh, I'll go to him about it get his opinion about it and we just me and him have had like you know conversations that I haven't been you know comfortable with discussing with other people and you know it, it's just it, it's just amazing to me how like I can like I can go to him and like I can just basically just pour my heart out like you know how I feel and he won't judge or anything. He'll just listen to me, and then you know he'll chime in from time to time. So, um, for me, I'm going to say yes and no. Um, if it's not for brew, then I really don't, and it's not um, like a choice. I would before the Lord really redeemed how I view race. It was a choice because I grew up with civil rights grandparents. They grew up during that era, so I've always been cognizant of race being a black female in this world. Um, but once God really redeemed me and showed me, like, well, you can't be walking around like this, um, I, I started to actually seek out spaces like this, which is why I'm so grateful for room. And I also say no because it's easier to stick within your own, with, with people who you look like you and who you grew up with and people who, you know, have the same struggles as you. And then due to some um, recent events on campus, it's been very hard for me because I want to love, I want to love, I want to do the thing. But how do you love when these people who are claiming God 
are also saying things that attack you as a person. So those just being transparent about where I am with that. So yeah, yes. Sir. Uh, for me, I also know Will. <laughs> Let me check that box. <laughs> but uh, seriously, in high school, um, I was part of Young Life, which was totally, um, totally different for me. Uh, like I said, growing up in the African American church, if you know anything or about Young Life, it's um, uh, very much, at least my experience, it was um, predominantly white uh, from Rock Hill. And, it also was different. Um, for example, they had something called a club. I was like, why are we in a garage, sweaty, jumping around? That's <laughs> you know, totally different. But um, it helped me see, uh, you know, different uh, experiences, which is always important. Especially um, talking about Christianity, talking about Jesus, all that stuff. Uh, you can get it one flavor, one way, but people do it in all kinds of ways. Um, you know, I know we were talking about earlier, it's black, white now, but, you know, going to Hispanic churches or how Asians do it, or, you know, different things, but they're all listening to the name of Jesus, which is so awesome. So my day-to-day -day, um, definitely is a lot of different experiences because um, I found that very important in high school when I got back. That was something I never saw, but for somebody else, that's their everyday life. So, you know, I saw that statistic where it was like 67% of white people um, kind of stick in the same silo. You can apply that to every race, you know. Black people, the Asian people, it's just, a lot of times we self-segregate because we think it's easier. Instead of going across and talking to somebody else who doesn't look different, who looks different than us, and you know, figuring out their story, and you know, oh, we, we grew up more similar than I thought we did, you know? And that's where you really find a lot of breakthroughs, a lot of revelation. Kind of like Will was saying, you know, a lot of these divisive problems, um, they really come from not talking to each other. Um, you know, a lot of, when you talk about how the number one uh, problem of our relationships fail, is usually communication. You know, they're not talking to each other. As soon as you're not talking to each other, things break down. Things, you start to assume the worst about the other side. And that's how we see these riots, all these things that um, happen racially across the um, political spectrum and stuff like that. So I think it's very important to start with yourself. So if that's going to a predominantly white FCA or I'll just tell Will and try to make it to the RUF event the night at eight, you know, things like that to where you can challenge yourself in these spaces. And, you know, for me, that's a challenge, but for Will, that may be normal. So he has to maybe go to the tribe of Judah and see what that's like and stuff like that. And really, you find everybody's trying to uplift the name of Jesus. So definitely, I think it's hugely important. Cool. Thank you. All right. Our next question, um, we have one more after this. It asks, is it possible to discuss Christianity in America without involving race? And the second part is, why is it hard for American Christians to talk about race? Thinking about the stats and the presentation, why is it so hard for us? I think it's definitely possible, um, but it's not a complete discussion. Um, we watched Unspoken at our recent conference, because um, uniquely we have like the first few days of the conference is like this African-American leadership conference, but it invites like anybody. Um, and the, the two evenings there, we were like, we're gonna watch this movie. And we had discussions about the history of Christianity and like stuff I had never heard about. But at the same time, it's, it's something that, if you think about it, it's almost common sense that something had to be happening in Africa around this time. If you have, the apostle going out and spreading the gospel and missionaries are going out like to assume that nothing's happening in 
this major country that's down, or major continent that's down there, where literally uh, the savior of our world ran away to escape persecution from the king, like to think nothing happened in this whole continent the whole time was kind of wild. Um, but it was eye-opening to see just how much was going on. Just to see how much influence was happening into the building and construction of our faith and the completeness of the scripture that we have and the understanding that we have. Um, but as far as in America, like it's easy just to look at post-70s and just think like, oh, yeah, everything's fine. Um, but to not really talk about race is to not consider that like Martin Luther King was Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. Uh, to not talk about race is to consider, or to not consider the fact that it was used as a tool against black people as being slaves. Um, that pieces were taken out like Exodus or anything that talked about freedom more. How slavery, there, there's a balance to it where like masters also have to treat their slaves well. It, it, it just kind of, you're, you're losing a big aspect of the faith journey, but also the idea that there are black believers today, and nine times out of ten that didn't just come from, oh, some slave owner was like, hey, you need to be a believer or something, but there is this whole aspect of the faith within slavery that people were still holding on to hope for deliverance. We have these Negro spirituals, like Amazing Grace and all these things, like, they, they, they came and grew and were, were birthed out of something. Um, I don't remember it by heart, but the Negro National Anthem really has just like all of these threads of faith and hope in the midst of darkness while you're just reflecting on all of the hurt and pain that your ancestors went through and that they were still going through through civil rights. Um, so it's kind of just like having a blind eye to American history and Christian history if you don't talk about race. Um, and I think the reason it's so hard is because it's just uncomfortable. I feel like talking about racism in general is tough. Once you bring faith into it, you have arguments from believers and non-believers of, okay, if God is real, then why did he let this happen? Why is slavery here? Why does he talk about slavery in the Bible and different things like that? Um, and it's just, it's challenging, but we can't run away from them. Like, Jesus was asked tough questions. And yes, he's the son of God. Yes, he has this fount of wisdom from above. But we're, as believers nowadays, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. He will lead us and guide us into answers and things that we don't know ourselves or the opportunities to have these discussions to dig deeper, to uh, watch content, to have these conversations like we're doing tonight, and to just expand our mind to have a better view of what the image of God is, because it's not just one person, it's the collection of who we are, so. Yeah, I, I agree 100% with that. Um, like, you, you can, I guess, talk about Christianity without involving race, um, like American Christianity, but it's not a complete picture. Um, so I think a lot of times um, in the, the kind of religious circles that I'm most closely connected with, it can be this, like, um, don't talk about this social issue, just stick to the gospel. And it's like, we want to separate um, kind of theological and the spiritual elements from, like, the real world and what's happening. Um, and what needs to happen is that we apply the theological and the spiritual to what's happening in the real world. Um, so sometimes that doesn't happen, and there's just kind of this, this disconnect. Um, but yeah.
Thank you guys, beautiful answer. All right, now we're gonna go to our last question. So we are, so I tailored this for college students. We're young, some people are older, it's fine, everyone's beautiful. Um, as young believers, how can we help bridge this racial gap? <laughs> I definitely think, um, especially as young people, uh, bridging the racial gap uh, just kind of starts with you. Um, kind of like going back to what I was saying earlier, um, being able to challenge yourself, I think that's always important. And also understanding, you know, you may not always be right. So if somebody is challenging you, you know, don't just seek to respond, but let me listen first, you know, practicing empathy. Doing those things that a lot of times that we say all the time and it's really good and it sounds good, but putting that in practice is a whole other thing. So really, really trying that, you know, I think that bridges the gap because when you're talking about Christianity and all these high ideals, you know, there's a, I believe it's a poem where it says, um, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. You know, I'd rather see you walk that walk than talk the talk, you know, and I think that is uh, what's key, especially for young believers, um, especially in college, you know, there can be a lot of temptations, a lot of things going around, but if you are truly believing in the Word of God, then walk it out, let people see through you the power of your example of what you're talking about, and that helps bridge a little bit of that racial gap right there, because I know, for example, Will is somebody who's walking that walk, he's somebody who's helping with events like this and doing stuff like that. Same with everyone else here, coming to this is that step but applying that to people who aren't here, people in your circles, that's just as important. Yes, I love that. Um, I just want to bounce off of you, Kayla, really quick. And so I mentioned earlier that it is sometimes hard for me, and I mentioned my grandparents. Um, my grandparents, they're Deacon and Deaconess, Helen and Luke Barr, gives the full title. Um, and yes, they grew up in a time where it was segregated. So a lot of the things they passed to my mom and then to us was like, you know, just be careful. And so I always had that in the back of my mind when interacting with people who didn't look like me, really white people. But it wasn't until I came to college and I met this girl named Bailey at Gospel Art Practice, the first practice. And she sat down and she was just so friendly. And I'm like, why are you talking to me? Why are you talking to me? And she was so persistent. I was, I, my wall was up. I was like, I don't want to make a new friend today. But she was so persistent. And through that friendship, I learned that love comes in all colors, all shapes and forms, but it taught me grace. And to quote scripture, Ephesians 2 and 8, we're saved by grace, not by our works. And so through that relationship, um, it taught me how to love others who do not look like me, for real, for real. And so I do want to reiterate, it's not just for white people, they got to learn how to do us better. Like, we got to learn how to love each other. And all of us, it's not just a reparation type thing. It really is, it's work for all of us. And it's a huge emphasis on being intentional. This work is hard. It is very hard. You know, we let our guards down every Wednesday in Bible study to have those tough conversations. But it makes me so much better than what I was. And if you could just love on one person, I feel like you've done your job. So yeah. Yeah, kind of, uh, kind of stemming off that. I think I think it goes down. I think it comes back to the point to where like we as Christians have to like. We have we kind of have to come to the realization that we are all viewed we are all viewed equally by God. Like no one is better than the other one. And you know I've had instances to where like I've been a couple I've been in a couple like situations especially 
especially this year. I'm not going too much detail about it, but you know, I felt like you know I've been you know looked down upon because you know my race. But at the end of the day, like you said, like like in the Bible, like God doesn't look at none of us differently. Like we're all viewed the same. I don't care like how many credentials we have. Like He's not gonna show one person more love because he has like better credentials. Like he's gonna love on us equally. So I think just I think just realizing that like we need to love each other like God loves us and not treat each other like differently because you know our skin color or, or you know how we may be, how, how we may view each other. So. Okay, thank you guys. Um, give it up for our beautiful panel. So we have officially come to the part of the presentation the night where we want to hear from you. So if anyone has any questions, I'll come down and be the microphone person. But if you have any questions, just raise your hand and yeah, we'll do the thing. So I am an elementary education major person, weird, um, teacher, and I'm white. I want, how do I approach race in a classroom with the idea that I know, I know growing up that as, like, as a white kid, it was not something we thought about, but now looking in as a teacher, I see that my students who are not white, maybe they're black, whatever they are, they, that's something that comes up, that's something that they think about. How do I bring that up? How do I talk to them in your experience and how would you have wanted your teachers to address that? Mm, that's good. Thank you. I'm also in college ed, so I'm on teachers. <laughs> but um, I'd definitely say, uh, kind of going back to that, that critical empathy, um, I really think that's important. Uh, we talked a lot about in Call Me Mister about how um, almost checking our uh, unconscious biases. So, for example, mm -hmm. if I have, for example, we see this a lot in South Carolina classrooms. You have a, a, say we're in elementary school, third grade classroom, you got a black kid come in. He's uh, got his pants sagging, he's rapping, saying the N-word every two seconds. And then that white teacher is quicker to throw him out. Flip it over, say we have a black teacher, third grade classroom, a white kid comes in. He comes in and he says the N-word. That black teacher is usually quicker to throw that white kid out. But really, both of those kids are demonstrating the same problem. Immaturity. They're kids. They're in third grade. What's really the worst thing they did? That's a learning moment right there for that whole classroom of saying, "Guys, it naturally came up. It's authentically came up. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about this." Instead of throwing them out, because as soon as you throw them out, they've already formed in their mind, "Oh, okay, this is how Miss So and So does me." And you know, starting that negative already, that negative um, kind of uh, what you call it, worldview that you can form and get reinforced throughout your life. So now, a lot of problems that we see now in society really could have been attacked in that third grade classroom. And you may have that opportunity where you're in that third grade classroom and you saw 
that kid and really where his life was going, that direction he was going, but you reacted differently. You challenged that differently. And that really makes a lot of difference. So definitely the education field, um, that, that's powerful. You know, we don't get paid enough. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's really about the change. So that's really, really powerful of having the opportunity to shake up minds, shape kids, shape the world. And using these things to see, you know, a lot of times in society, that's just a microcosm of where they're coming from. So especially elementary school, you know, both of those kids most likely are seeing that at home. So it's not even really those kids. So you're throwing them out, punishing them. They're just doing mom and daddy's doing. So it once again goes back to just having that critical empathy and then educating them, really dealing with the root of the issue and not just the symptom. That's good. I do want to hit on this too. So I um, am a grad student and part of my stipend is that I um, teach a communication lab. And so they give speeches. I, you know, instruct them, do the great thing. But um, I work with a lot of students who are white, who don't look like me, but also who have different sexualities and all the things. And so one thing that I've been cognizant of is just recognizing my identity as a black Christian woman and just choosing to love them is you know when they come to me and say hi like how are you good morning I always speak every day at 8 a.m. y'all are so tiring sometimes <laughs> but I genuinely love doing it because um sometimes one one quote I've heard is like you can be the only bible someone has seen so if you're walking in love then I think you're doing it right so I just wanted to throw that in there as well so thank you for the beautiful question any other questions Anybody have any objections or want to push back on anything that we said? Anybody want to fight me? <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much for coming out. Um, this was a beautiful event. I'm so happy to see everyone's faces. I think I can speak for Bryn, Will, and myself. We were nervous, but we are so glad that you guys um, came and we worked really hard. So we hope that you learned something and took something away from this. And before we leave, I would like to pray for us before we go. Um, so everyone bow your head and close your eyes. Father, thank you so much for this moment. God, we thank you for the presentation that has gone forth. We thank you for your word that has gone forth. God, we pray that as we step out into our day-to-day -day lives, that we interact with those who love you but don't look like you. God, challenge us in this area. Give us the strength, whether we are education majors, in our day-to-day -day work jobs, doing all the things you've called us to do, but help us to love at the end of the day. God, we honor you, and we just respect you, and we trust you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.